Hey everyone and welcome back to the Live with Rachel podcast. I'm Rachel and today we're going to be continuing from the previous episodes that we've been doing on decision making, wisdom, morality and so on. So if you haven't checked out those episodes you should definitely do so because they provide a lot of context. Today we'll be discussing what to do when you've made a wrong decision or a wrong choice and now you're suffering the consequences of that choice. So what do we do? Do we run and hide from God? Do we run and hide from the people that were involved or who know about our wrong choice? Or do we just justify it to ourselves or reassure ourselves that it wasn't that bad? So how do we deal with the possible guilt that we also might have from these wrong choices that we've made? So all of this is what we'll be unpacking today in this episode, and I really hope that it will be useful for you. I want to start this episode by saying that everyone has messed up from one point or another. The Bible tells us that, that everyone has sinned. I mean, we don't even need the Bible to really tell us that, but I mean, it helps, I think, <laughs> to get an understanding. So yeah, the Bible tells us that everyone has sinned and to sin basically means to rebel against God and what he has said. And the results of sin is guilt. And guilt isn't something that we should run from or be afraid of or something that we think needs to be suppressed. Guilty feelings are actually really good because it means that you actually have a good conscience and it's driving you to seek amends or seek forgiveness. And the moment that a person turns from sin to Jesus in faith, their sin, meaning their rebellion, their mistakes, they are forgiven. And repentance, which is just the act of changing your mind, it's basically doing a you know 180 degree change in direction from where you were. It's not really anything serious. I don't know why people are so scared of that word, repent, but it's part of the faith that leads to being saved from hell and going to heaven. And a lot of people, they know they've messed up. And no matter what it is, a lot of people know that when they've messed up or sinned, they tend to turn away from God because they believe that God hates them now and is pointing the finger at them, so to speak. So if that's you today, I want to tell you right now that no, God does not hate you at all. You are a human being and that means that you have been designed by God to reflect his own image and God loves what he creates and he's created you and he especially loves people because we are most like him. So there are three main reasons that make people believe that God hates them. and I just want to quickly talk about them. First is sin, like I mentioned, and that's because God is perfect and we are definitely are not. Our sin, meaning our rebellion against God, it distorts or blurs the image of God in us so that his goodness and likeness can't really easily be seen in us. And since the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, we are predisposed to want to be our own gods and make up our own minds about how we live our lives and what our own ideas of right and wrong are. We don't really like or want to be told what to do. And that kind of rebellion against our own creator is essentially the essence of sin. And sin is a matter of the heart. It manifests in obvious ways like murder and cheating and stuff like that. Or it may manifest in other ways like ambition, lust, envy, or greed. But sin is what puts this distance between us and God. And that's why sometimes people wonder, why does God feel so far away? And it's usually because, I hate to tell you this, but it's because you're the one who's moved. God never moved. If God hated you, he would have wiped out Adam and Eve at the very start of time when they disobeyed him. But because God has already created 
in them a spirit like what he has inside. He wanted to be with them forever. So God entered our world and did for us what we can't do ourselves, meaning that he covered Adam and Eve's sin. And he still does that for us today. As Jesus, he died in our place and covered our sin with his sacrifice. And the Bible even tells us, whosoever believes in him will not perish. And believing in Jesus' sacrifice for us means that we also acknowledge that he has the right to tell us what to do, how to live, and how to reflect his ways better. And we submit to him daily. And I know that all of those things seem to rub us the wrong way, you know, the word submit or telling us what to do and stuff like that. But When we give our lives to Jesus, we give up the exhausting hustle of trying to control our own lives in our own way and find our own happiness. And we say ultimately to God, like, God, you've got this now. My life is yours and you can do whatever you want with it because I believe that you love me and I believe that you're good and I really want to see you move in my life. So then God adopts us as his own loved children into his family. And that's why Christians call themselves Christians, because it means little Christ and it's being part of God's family and to each other. And that's why you might also hear the phrases brothers and sisters in the faith. And as his children, we now have the freedom to come to him anytime and find forgiveness when we mess up, just like our earthly fathers. (laughs) And when we do mess up, because we will mess up, we can just dust ourselves off and we can try again and we can just live in joyful anticipation that one day we'll get to live with him in heaven forever. Anyway, another reason is that too often people have the wrong view or they have a misunderstanding of God and what he's all about. And this is very common because the world is full of twisted ideas. Every man-made religion as its own definition has some sort of almighty being or supreme force which usually has its own legalistic practices and If you do look into these other religions, you'll seem to notice a theme that they're all human inventions. And there's a lot of false teaching about God, our God, the Christian God, out of their own way. And we need to be diligent enough to seek out what is the truth. And we need to choose to believe biblical truth and sound doctrine. Some religions actually start off with something harmless that is kind of close to the God of the Bible, but they start adding their own things onto it and they just end up maybe even excluding certain aspects. And then you end up with a completely warped view of God's real nature. And that's how you get those feelings of God is mad at me or I could never seem to please God or oh well I must be just going to hell then or even God has his favorites and I'm certainly not one of them. And I just want to say that all of these beliefs are wrong and it's very, very sad when people think this way. So the third reason I want to say is pride. The lack of humility is maybe another reason why people decide that God hates them. And it's usually because when they start to wonder if God hates them, what they're they're really wondering is, will God accept me and this sin of mine that I have absolutely no intention of ever changing? And usually the answer that we get from the Bible is no. So people in their pride turn to turn away from God because they're like, oh, well, God doesn't accept me and this thing that I love to do, which is clearly wrong for me. But when we define ourselves by a particular sin, that means we are unwilling to allow Jesus to give us a new identity, a biblical God-given identity. Repentance, like I said, is being part of being saved and going to heaven, and we can't accept the new nature that he gives us if we don't let go of the old one. And pride insists that God needs to bend into doing things our way and that our ways are better than God's ways. 
And when he doesn't bend for us, we tend to decide, okay, well, then God must hate me then. But in reality, he refuses to bend for us because he loves us too much to let us continue going the wrong way. If his way is the absolute right way, then the only loving thing that a loving God like him would do is to insist that we do things his way. And to allow anything less than that really isn't loving at all. God accepts people, but people need to throw pride away and to confess when they mess up and agree with him about the sin that they are trying so hard to defend. I just want to say again, God does not hate anyone. However, those who by their own life choices set themselves against God can't and shouldn't expect God's blessing and protection in their own life. Those who choose rebellion against God's plan for their lives will ultimately experience the consequences of their choices, and they will spend an eternity recognizing the rightness of their punishment for the rejection of the sacrifice that Jesus made on their behalf. But we don't have to if we throw pride away and these other twisted views of God away. Jesus took our punishment so that God's love, not his anger, could define our lives. And if we reject all his attempts to bring us to himself, then in the end, he will reject us right back and let us suffer the consequences. I just want to reiterate and say, don't turn away and hide from God because it is so freeing to tell him that you've messed up, you feel guilty, and you want to start making amends. It's really not that hard. It's not that deep. It's not that complicated. And when I say tell God about your mistakes, I don't mean just give him lip service, like just saying it for the sake of saying it, but really you want to do something about it when you confess that you've messed up. And I mean like real confession and not in like the Catholic sense of confession where you confess to a priest. You don't need to do that. You can go directly to God. And real confession involves admitting that what we did was wrong. Repentance involves a sincere desire to change our course in life. And we're not just saying that, okay, well, what I did was wrong, but we're actually seeking to take steps to overcome and to not do that thing anymore. So confession without repentance is just words, is what I'm trying to say. It's meaningless. A lot of people confess to something that they've done wrong only when they've been caught. And sometimes they have no intention of changing. They just want people to get it off their chests and move on. But their show of remorse is only due to the consequences of their actions. It's not the actual sin or the damage of the actions that causes them to confess that what they've done was wrong. I think in those circumstances, those people... If they had it their way, they would just continue doing whatever they were doing, even if they weren't caught out. The Bible demonstrates to us in Matthew chapter 3 that we shouldn't be people who just confess their sins, but should actually demonstrate by their actions that they truly have had a change in course, meaning that they've truly repented of their mistakes. So you tell God about your sin, and then the second thing the Bible tells us to do is to tell other people about our sin. Now, that might be really scary, but it's definitely necessary. So when we have wronged someone, it's always appropriate to tell them that we've messed up and that we seek forgiveness. And sometimes this is more than just one someone. You might have messed up against a singular person, but you may not have realized the ripple effect that could come from that one mistake. You may have negatively impacted your family, your friends, your colleagues, and so on. So it's worth apologizing to anyone that you may have let down, especially if those relationships are important to you. A lot of people mess up and don't want to put in the effort of seeking forgiveness or changing their course, or maybe they just wonder, like, why are people so obsessed with me? Why do they 
they care about what I do and they just find that it's easier to forget about these people altogether and they just try to make new friends or they find a new job and they get new colleagues and maybe these people don't know the wrong that they've done and they just think I'll just start over and that's just really really sad. I just said don't run and hide from God but you also don't want to run and hide from people either because people in your lives believe it or not whether you realize it these people love and care about you and only seek for your personal good as well so it's definitely worth apologizing and confessing to other people as well. Also, just like how I said earlier that pride can taint people's view of God, pride can also taint their view of other people. Pride rushes in to justify, explain, or to shift blame instead of confessing and being forgiven. So the Bible tells us that God resists a prideful person and confessing that you've messed up does little good when it's coerced or it's insincere because people can smell a fake from a mile away and because it's not in true agreement with God but it's just a temporary effect to appease you know a guilty conscience or to pacify another person like I said it's just toxic be real be authentic don't be toxic don't be that person. Another thing that I want to say is I've noticed in society today another thing would be ignorance. People today are growing more and more biblically illiterate and hearts are growing more and more cold towards the things of God and it's really sad. The neglect of the Bible means that many, including people who say that they're Christians, to be badly ignorant of God's moral standards. So some just want to indulge in their sin and they have little remorse for what they've done and they try to remain in the dark rather than confessing their sin and living with God in a right relationship. Their attitude may just be like, okay, well, ignorance is bliss and they don't want to open up the Bible and learn because they're worried that it will make them feel guilty about how they're living their life because they just want to live in ignorance. But God still holds us all accountable for all the things that he has given for us and done for us. So ignorance is no excuse for telling God about our mess ups and being forgiven. Confession, like real authentic confession is good for the soul. It really, really is. And God wants us to live with a clear conscience and a pure heart. And this is only possible when we regularly tell God each time that we mess up and we need to keep the model of Jesus always before us. We should never be content in our own ignorance. Jesus never had to confess his sins because he never committed any, but no one else can truthfully say that. So we need to learn not to be scared of God or others who love us and regularly tell them when we've messed up so that we can live a life free of guilt and shame. So let me summarize quickly everything that I've been saying. So when you feel guilty, do the following things. Number one, confess all known previously unconfessed sin. So in some cases, feelings of guilt are appropriate because confession is needed. But a lot of the times we feel guilty because we are guilty. Number two, ask God to reveal any other sin that may need confessing. So have the courage to be completely open and honest before him. Psalm 139 verses 23 to 24 say, search me God and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So that's like a really simple prayer that you can just say to God whenever you want him to reveal any sin that might need confessing. Seek to make amends or restoration or reconciliation of some kind wherever possible definitely of the sins committed against other people 
So in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, there's a guy called Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was a tax collector and the tax collectors were all well known for charging people extra money on top to fund their own very lavish lifestyles. So when he met Jesus, he repented and he promised to God, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So that was his way of seeking to make amends, to restore his reputation and to reconcile with these people. And that's exactly what we need to do also. Number four, Trust the promise of God that he will forgive sin and remove guilt based on Jesus' sacrifice. Number five, on some occasions when guilty feelings arise over sins already confessed and thrown away with, reject the feelings that are false guilt because God is true in his promise to forgive and you can read all about it in Psalm 32, 51 and Psalm 103. They're all really great psalms to read in this area if you resonate with this. I know that I do. Like even after confessing like, oh, I've done this wrong thing, I definitely feel like I get these bouts of false guilt, even though I've already confessed. Which actually brings me to number six. Ask God to rebuke Satan because he's known as the accuser and ask God to restore the joy that comes with the freedom of guilt. And what I mean by this, if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically Satan was a formerly... He was formerly a beautiful angel and he was actually the highest above all of them, but he had wickedness in his heart. And specifically, he was very prideful. And because he wanted to be greater than God and he like he actually led an army of angels into rebellion, which caused in him getting ejected from heaven, along with every other angel who had believed and followed him. And now he roams the earth. As the Bible says, he prowls around like a lion, seeking to block everyone that he can from choosing salvation and living living a life with Jesus in obedience to God. And so he acts as the accuser of people in an attempt to discredit them before God. You can actually read so much more about this in Ezekiel chapter 28 or Isaiah 14 or even Revelation chapter 12. But I really do think that the book of Job is a really, really great example of this. Or even... The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. That's a really good book about Satan versus God. But anyway, Satan accuses God's children continually and he hates God and all that God is, which means that he also hates God's mercy and forgiveness. And he stands before God in an attempt to somehow lessen God's love or even diminish his mercy towards others. But obviously this doesn't work on God because salvation belongs to the Lord and his justification can't be undone or reversed. God's greater than Satan, like Satan can't win. So especially when you read the end of the book, Satan doesn't win. So Satan may love to remind you of your sin and every time that you've messed up. And he may even tell you that you're unworthy of God's love or being in his family. And he may even try to plant seeds of doubt in your heart and in your mind. But rather than looking at all of your mistakes, God says, look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your faith. Anyway, I want to end this episode with this. So if you've told God all about your mistakes and that you want to change course in life and you want to make amends and so on, it really is time to move on. Like if you've done everything that I've that I've mentioned today, it's time to move on. So remember that if you've come to Jesus and given your life authentically to him with zero pride involved, just humility, like real humility, then and you're, you've been made new. You're new again. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. So your former way of life, meaning your old self, as Christians call it sometimes, it's, it's done. It's dead. You were one way and now you're another. 
you're like Ephesians says, you were created to be like God. And so you must honor him and be truly holy. So you're no longer controlled by the sin that dominated in your life and it doesn't control you anymore. And God promises to give us a new and undivided heart, meaning he's going to remove, as it says in the Bible, remove our heart of stone and replace it with one of flesh. Ezekiel 36 also says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The changes begin in the heart and then they spill out into our behavior. And that's what this is all about. There's actually a saying that says, if God has saved you out of a sewer, don't dive back in and swim around. And that's exactly what you need to do. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there for today. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I really hope that you tune in for the next episode, which will be on understanding our own hearts. It's kind of like a continuation of some of the things that I've touched on today. And it's about, you know, understanding why do we do what we do. But also don't forget that if there's anything you want to hear about on the podcast, any topic or Bible study, feel free to message me on the podcast Facebook page, which will be linked in the description below. Anyway, I hope you have a really great rest of your day. Bye everyone.